Lead Time is a podcast of the Unite Leadership Collective, hosted by Tim Allman and Jack Caliber. The ULC envisions a future in which all congregations fully equip the priesthood of all believers through world-class leadership development at the local level. Lead Time taps into biblical wisdom for practical solutions to today's burning issues. Each podcast confronts real-time struggles facing the local church in a post-Christian culture. Step into the action with the ULC at uniteleadership.org. This is Lead Time. Welcome to Lead Time. Tim Allman here with Jack Kalberg. Wherever you're taking this in, whether you're driving or getting ready for your day, maybe you're getting your water and your workout in, time in the Word in, we pray that you're leaning into a fun conversation today uh, that Jack and I get to have with Reverend Dr. Adam C. Koontz. He is a pastor and evangelist at Trinity Lutheran Church in Denver, Colorado. I love Denver. That's my home hometown. And he's pastored and planted congregations <laughs> in Pennsylvania, taught in the New Testament at uh, Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne for three years before going to Trinity in Denver. He is also a well-known writer, speaker, podcaster here in the LCMS, and a shout out to his podcast, A Brief Power of History, to my longtime brief ago basketball, A Brief History of Power, <laughs> A Power of a Brief History, whatever. Yeah, it was close enough. It's fine. They'll figure it, was it out. Close enough. smart people. Brief yeah. History. <laughs> they are smart people. Thank you, Adam. Uh, a Brief History of Power with his co-host, Jonathan Fisk, and Fisk and I were uh, teammates uh, with the preachers way back in the day. So what I found interesting about, and I, I just grabbed that brief little intro off offline, but you include evangelist yeah. in your title as pastor. Say a little bit about that. I, I love it. We need yeah. more evangelists. Today, yeah. So. so that's, um, that's a representation of my focus, both in our congregation and also nationwide is that I was called here to help implement not only outreach and potentially church planting in the Denver area where we're at, this is a depressing statistic I always like to use is that Denver Metro is about twice as big as it was 20 years ago. And we have four to five fewer LCMS churches than we did before. Right. So we don't have twice as many. We don't, we don't have a quarter again, as many, we have four to five fewer. So that's one part of it. Another part of it is just in traveling and lecturing and helping congregations is to foster church planting in the United States because Trinity has sort of a big vision for that. And, uh, I was brought on to be, to be part of that. So that's why, that's why evangelists. So locally, that's a big part of my focus here at Trinity, but it's also part of my focus. I, I, I guess I would say generally. Do, do you have a vision at Trinity for new, new church plants? Tell a little bit about that. Yeah, we, we would like to start another congregation as far as threshold goes we're getting close to that threshold. We're a very young yes. congregation. And as far as average Sunday attendance goes, we're, we're almost at the point, um, God willing. I mean, it's only been a year and a half that I've been here. We're almost at the point where, you know, we can begin to think about where are we going to put something else? So, so good. How, uh, how do you define that point? I'm just super curious. Yeah. yeah so that, re- I think that really depends on the congregation. Denver is going to attract, um, as Tim knows, Denver is going to attract people who are pretty motivated to go to church since they're here at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're not always in the mountains on the weekends. So mm-hmm. um, I think that threshold is maybe a little bit lower in that we are getting people who are highly committed mm-hmm. that are coming to any church of any kind. Um, mm-hmm. you just talking to other guys in the area who are Reformed Baptist or Anglican or whatever mm-hmm. is that our people are all pretty high commitment. Um, cause mm-hmm. you have to be to go to church. Um, you guys yeah. probably have something similar, right? And mm-hmm. so, um, 
that threshold of how many people do we need to where we can form a nucleus as we begin to form another church. I think that number is actually kind of lower here than it is in other places, because if my people are coming at all, they're pretty, they're pretty committed. So Mm -hmm. I don't need, you know, 400 people the first Sunday in order to get a committed congregation because not those people aren't going to all like drop off the next Sunday. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No. I love that. And I love when you that. envision, like, I know we're going like right into some brass tacks here. But yeah, no when worries. You envision, when you envision um, launching another congregation, yeah, what what do you think that team looks like? I like, think that, uh, yeah, um, I think it is a team. But I want to be clear that I, I think that you need you need a pastor who has a a, a passion behind what he's doing to lead right. that team. So it's not a it's not a pure like. Back in the day, you would get like a bunch of money from your district and just sort of like be parachute dropped into a, a city you had never been to before. Mm-hmm. Okay, not that, but mm-hmm. <laughs> but also like a team of like really functional people still needs to be led. So there's going to be a combination yeah. here of pastoral leadership along with that team of people who are really gifted or who have been here a lot longer or whatever the case may be. Um, right. It's always it, it's it's like a regular church that way. I mean, I, I think sometimes we make it a little too complex, like. Mm-hmm. You just take a regular church that's actually functional and you just reverse engineer it and say, okay, how do we get these pieces together over time? Mm -hmm. Church planting wasn't always so difficult, I think, as we now make it out to be. Mm. Well, no no question. How... um you're kind of an anomaly in some respects, Adam. You know, you're unique. You're <laughs> is a unique it the guy. Sweater? Is that what you're coming after? <laughs> well, I got a, I got a cardigan, bro. So it's all good. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we look we look the part, right? <laughs> but I I think you're you're a little because if people, I mean, you're a very traditional, conf- I mean, confessional, very very conservative Lutheran congregation, yeah, and robustly yeah, committed to to scripture and the confessions, and and yet at the same time. And I, I'm I'm all of those things, but from a personality perspective, and maybe sure. you know, because our congregation has contemporary worship still with a liturgical yeah. framework and and all of that. But you know, maybe some different different values. But you still have, and we share that same value for reaching lost people with the gospel and starting yeah. new word and sacrament centers. Um, I think that's a point of commonality, man, that our church yeah. body needs to rally around. But as I listen to the wider conversation in the LCMS, I don't hear as much around not just the what of church planning, but then the how of church planning as well. Right. How did you develop that love for for church planning? bro? Um, that's really pretty simple in the sense that I did not grow up going to church. So it always seemed obvious to me that you should try not to put someone in the United States or wherever you're located, right? And, and our church body is an American church body. Don't put somebody in that position, you know? So if you have the absolute truth, then um, you you should go tell that to people, right? Um, mm-hmm. That's like, it sounds dumb, but that's, that's just my basic. I mean, I, it's always been like that for me. So the church that I came into the LCMS through is no longer a functioning congregation. The building's still there. There's a different congregation there. Um, but that congregation has gone. So I think a combination of if I had wanted to grow up LCMS, I couldn't have. Hmm. And where I became LCMS no longer exists. So there's just a certain, I think, an urgency that, you know, and I just, because your question was kind of about how I came to it. I mean, I, this should be evident from the scriptures, but it's a, it's a little easier to see sometimes when you didn't used to have it. And, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, it doesn't necessarily just maintain itself. It's not going to be around forever. 
Well, yes, the Church of Jesus Christ will continue. It right. actually requires uh, treasure, some effort. But yes. to have a local congregation <laughs> requires some effort. Right, right. So if I want there to be, you know, like if I'm like, hey, we've got plenty of big box churches called like blank church, you know, in the Denver area. We got Red Rocks. We got Flatiron. We got blah, blah, blah. I want there to be Lutheran churches. I think Lutheran churches are good. Like I became a Lutheran for a reason. Then it seems obvious to me that we would plant them. There was an interesting survey. I think we're going to be interviewing this guy that, that did the the LCMS survey, Tim. Do you remember Lyman the name? Stone. Lyman yeah. Stone. Okay. I, I remember seeing the results of this where they they saw the distinction between how pastors and lay people thought about the topic of evangelism. Okay. And what was very fascinating is that lay people like really, really elevated this super high. And there was a concerning trend that pastors actually had a much lower view of the urgency of that. Yeah. And I don't honestly have a full explanation from that. And I, and I, if you listen to the Fisk is a lifelong LCMS guy. And if you Mm -hmm. listen to our podcast, I try to be, I try to be chill about it. Like, I don't try to come in and be like, here's why you guys have always been wrong. Like, listen to me now, you know, but, Mm -hmm. but there is a lack of urgency. There's a cultural lack of urgency. Um, Do you think there's a theological training that that goes into that lack of urgency? I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, so let me, let me, let me clarify that in the sense that I'm not just like dodging your question. I don't know because I think that if you are sitting there, let me just give you like a really old school dogmatic answer. If you're reading Francis Pieper's dogmatics, which center on the vicarious satisfaction Christ has made for the world, and that doesn't fire you up, I like I can't do anything for you. Right. So yeah. in that sense, no, there's no <laughs> theological reason. Got no. Um, in another sense, practically, I think we we often are training towards a situation of an imagined stable congregation. Right. And, and, and the one way to see that is to look at our pastoral theology books is that they, they generally just assume there's a congregation, there are people there. And then some of those people come to be baptized and then a certain percentage of them need to be confirmed. And, you know, and that's all true, but it assumes a certain stability that I, I, is really hard to assume in many places and increasingly, especially the lower the demographic window you're going, like you go down to teens I don't think you should in rural Wisconsin be assuming they're just going to turn into Lutherans by yeah. force of, you know, social pressure or something. Right. So that's, I, I have, yeah. I have a theory and I invite you with your professor hat to put it on and challenge my theory on All this, right. but I, I have a theory because we, uh, we hold to this idea of passive faith that in some, the idea of passive faith translates into passive ministry. I don't know if that makes any sense. But like we understand that like faith is a gift from the Holy Spirit. So if we're understanding faith as a gift from the Holy Spirit, then yeah. like I'm not really putting it on my shoulders whether or not somebody is being converted or not. Does that yeah, make sense? It, yeah, it, that does make sense. And there's a sense in which I don't have a problem with what you just said, right. like just strict mm-hmm. formulation. I think the issue is you you don't engage in the proclamation of the gospel out of some sense of guilt or like, like right. a sales guy or like Christian a policeman, freedom. you haven't arrested enough people this month. So you need to <laughs> right. get your quota by the end of the month. Like, <laughs> right. So, right. you know, it's the 30th I'm getting pulled right. over. Right. Right. <laughs> like that's just the way, yeah. you know, that that's not what it proceeds from. It, the proclamation right. of the gospel proceeds from a grasp of the gospel. 
It, mm-hmm. it doesn't need anything else. And that's why it's like, okay, so you read Peeper and you just got the sense that you were right because you agreed with him. Right. You missed the heart and of what is being said there right. about Christ's intention for every human being. And, and it's out of that that the desire to proclaim the gospel comes. Right. Hmm. If we get said, said this way, um, if we get the mission of God wrong— which is to seek and save the lost. Mm-hmm. I've said to, to get my kids back, my kids who are far from me, I got to get them back. And Jesus came for uh, the sins of the whole world, to save the whole world. This is why mm-hmm. he, he died. And then we flip then out of that Christology and, and missiology, and then we get ecclesiology, just the life of the church. And this mm-hmm. is where I think some of the rub today is. Yeah. If you get that order wrong, Christology, and why did Jesus come? Because the Missio Dei, the mission of God, and then the, the mission of God as a clear confession of Jesus Christ as King and Lord through, and how how is that distributed through the through the means of grace, um, through the office of holy ministry, hearing the word, believing yeah. the word, trusting the word, and then being mobilized for life, and and the life of the Christian is continually this sending and this being drawn back, this sending and being drawn back. What to be reformed, restored? This is what the historical liturgy is being incorporated into the baptismal reality from the very beginning through the ending, the blessing of God sending you out. That's the best part of our of our Lutheran liturgy, centered in the Word of God, uh, proclaimed rightly. But but it seems like sometimes we get it we get it backwards, and pastors can so be drawn toward ecclesiology just under our Christian tent, and and we miss. That, that just wide open heart, the vicarious atonement of Christ, the, the justification of Jesus came for me and through me. That This is the mystery of faith, right? Yeah. Now through me, for to the world, through us, not just me, through us as the church. The church is the mm-hmm. plan A, right, uh, of God to seeking to save those who are, are lost. So, yeah, that how did you kind of come to that? that kind of awe and wonder and how are you kind of bringing that? Hey, let's keep the main thing, the main thing, which is, which is reaching the loss and how through the, through word and sacrament in the yeah. local church, how um, did that kind of develop in you, Adam? And any response to what we just said too? Yeah. Um, I, I, I think that it developed out of, and I, you know, th- this is a, this is a dork answer, but you know, is that, uh, my favorite professor and, and my favorite professor to this day, but also in seminary was David Scare. And, um, mm. I mean, I love him for a variety of reasons, but, um, the chief reason that I love him is that he puts Christology at the center of what it is that not only that you are believing, but also what you are doing as a pastor. And what that does is that it rearranges your priorities vis-a-vis other people, because you begin to mm. see them in the light of what Christ has done and is doing through the Holy Spirit for them on their behalf. Mm. And then you need to align what you are doing with his intention, his priorities. Um, you know, that's the reason that you try to preach sermons that are scriptural sermons because they need to hear from him. They don't need to hear, you know, Adam's stupid ideas. So that, that was a place that the light bulb went on for me in a way that it hadn't before I had gone to seminary. But I think, I think some of that background that I talked about before also just pushed me in the direction of thinking of these things as, obvious rather than needing to plead for them. And and I will say that um, I haven't read that survey, but that that aligns anecdotally with what what I get as I talk to people is that mm-hmm. um, the LCMS per se as an organization is much more interesting to the clergy than it is to the laity. Um, mm-hmm. And there's, 
that's totally understandable from like a professional point of view. Like I don't know anything about the National Association of Realtors because I'm not a realtor. On the other hand, yeah. I'm very interested in realtors actually being able to buy and sell homes. I, I don't really yeah. care what's going they on. They have to do their job really, really well, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I, I, don't, I don't really care what's going yeah. on at the National Association They're of Realtors. politics. Yeah. Yes. Right. Yeah. 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 Well, that's good. That's good. So I love that you're a theologian and you're a historian. And what was your, what was your primary discipline as you taught the New Testament? Yeah. And where are your kind of areas of expertise as it relates yeah. to the New Testament? Um, I, I would say that TJ, Fort Wayne has a lot of required curriculum. So you teach all all over the New Testament. But my specialty and what I wrote my doctoral dissertation on is Paul. Mm-hmm. Um, so Paul, especially Paul in relationship to Acts, how did Paul carry out his ministry? And what I wrote the dissertation on, and I'm now revising it, and then I'll submit it to somebody for publication, is um, specifically when Paul said, imitate me, who did he say that to? And, and why did he say it? And what did he mean? Um, which is a question that I came to through planting a church is mm-hmm. what what actually has to exist in every church the way Paul insists on we this is done in all the churches of Christ like in First Corinthians yeah. so so if you don't mind give us a teaser I mean what should yeah. be imitated when he says yeah. that what, um, it doesn't mean about? that you're going to reproduce um, everything that Paul himself is because mm-hmm. Paul will adapt himself to the different ways of life that in First Corinthians nine Jews have or or um, Jews who put themselves under the religious law or uh, people who are outside the law altogether, he'll he'll adapt there. Those are all about their ways of life, probably especially about how they eat and where they live and who they hang out with. Um, what is not adaptable and what has to be brought forward in the churches are what Paul calls the ways of Christ. And that's just, mm-hmm. he's just using an Old Testament word for what we might call a way of life or a way of being or a way of existing, your walk. Um, how you are, what kind of a person you are. So that has to do with personal modeling, both in Paul, but also he says like in first Corinthians, he's like, well, I can't come. So in order to remind you how to be, I'm going to send Timothy Mm -hmm. because you need to, you need to be recalled to how to be that that's, that's part of the Christian profession is not just things that, you know, it's also how you are as a human. When Paul says, become all things to all people. Yeah. How should, how should we think about that as Lutherans? I think as Lutherans, um, we, we either go into one of two directions very often. We're like, okay, that means infinite adaptability or more commonly that means, um, uh, I'm not going to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Just ignore that. I'm going to ignore that piece. (laughs) So, um, what it, what it means concretely is that Paul is not going to take things that if they were already inside the church, they would be called, um, theologically adiaphora matters of indifference. Mm -hmm. He's not going to take those like what food you eat and, and when you eat dinner and what language you use and stuff like that. And then make those into, you need to turn into me before you can be a Christian. Right. It means that he's going to take the substance of the faith once delivered to the saints and then proclaim it where those people exist. And that's easy to see. uh, I think easiest Mm -hmm. in acts. Because right. he goes to synagogues to find Jews and God-fearers, and he goes to other places to find Gentiles. Um, and where he doesn't know their language, like with the Lyconians, gospel proclamation just doesn't happen in that chapter. They try to sacrifice to him, and he, you know, has to, mm-hmm. he tries desperately to stop them. So as much as you can cross those barriers that 
don't have to do with the substance of the faith. Um, that's that's what you need to be shooting for. And and Paul puts aside a lot for that sake. Yeah. I mean, that's he says, I, I didn't get married. So I and I think he's doing all that so he can go faster and farther. Right. Mm. So you can go faster and farther. I think it gets us thinking about uh, the meaning of hospitality in the church. And because um, when I'm when I'm thinking about Paul, you know, he's not setting aside anything that is the core true doctrine of the church, sola fide mm. and all that kind of stuff. What he's really saying is like, I am just going to be absolutely clear about there's like a whole bunch of things that are cultural things. We're just not going to let that be the thing that gets in the way of proclaiming the gospel to people. So he puts the burden on himself to cross the cultural barrier rather than the people in the local uh, the local community for them to have to conform themselves to cross a cultural barrier to be able to hear the gospel. Right. Yeah. And, and I think sometimes that got caught up since like the seventies, eighties, um, it's the LCMS. So we're behind. So maybe like it was the eighties, nineties in the LCMS or whatever, nineties, two thousands, whatever that got turned into a debate about worship style. And, and it, yes. you know, it never, it, it's, it's never not, there's resolved. nothing about, there's nothing. <laughs> the only worship being discussed in first Corinthians nine is meat sacrificed to idols. It has, right. Okay. <laughs> the worship stuff is chapter 10, chapter 11, chapter 12. Yeah. Okay. Um, it's way harder than the music you're using. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's way harder than you stuck with TLH or <clears throat> you believe that Lutheran service book fell from heaven. Um, it's, it's how you live with people mm-hmm. and that you're taking this attitude of service toward them so that the gospel can by any means get to them. And right. that's, that, that's a lot, that's a lot more to ask. It's a little bit more, if this makes sense to the audience, it's a little bit more like what we have thought of we're asking a missionary to a foreign country to do, Mm -hmm. but you just have to apply it to this culture, that culture, this region of the country, this city, whatever. Um, Then it is like, Oh, I changed the music. So we're good to go. You know, there's a bit of a dichotomy though, when we think about our own country as a potential mission field, I think we don't, we tend to not think of it that way because America has been culturally Christian for so long. It's not really that anymore or, rapidly moving away from that. Right. And so it's interesting that we give a lot of freedom to people that serve in a foreign manner, you know, in, in a missionary role. And we're a little bit more hesitant to do it in our local context. Um, so I, yeah, so the, the notion of cultural Christianity, I just want to say this before we go anywhere else is like, yeah. I would kill for cultural Christianity. Yeah. Um, in, as the context for my pastoral ministry, I would, yeah. I would love it. <laughs> okay. That it would be normative. Yes. Like I'm not yeah. saying like, please I, give me a call to rural Michigan tomorrow. I'm right. just saying it would be really nice sometimes. It'd be delightful. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, maybe it will be again. I would love for people to show up and be like, um, I know what the rules are, Pastor, and I know I've been breaking them. What should I do? You know, like they're yeah. not. And that's fine. That's just not where they are. Right. It's, it's okay. Mm-hmm. It's okay. Um, but in that case, I think that behind what you're saying behind are we gonna are how am i gonna exercise charity how am i gonna think about what needs to be accomplished behind all of that is is the assumption that this will be here Mm -hmm. therefore the the place for um endeavor or or difficulty or being like you know, um he's trying to do the he's trying to do something good like let's help him whatever the realm for that is is put overseas entirely because we're assuming that this will be here. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, th- there's obviously a time when that wasn't true. There were zero LCMS churches in the United States in right. 1830, right? Which they thought differently about planting churches back then. I think they did. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. I think they did. Um, it it would seem, if you look at the just the guys' lives and, and, and what they did and even some of the history, especially usually of the oldest congregations in the different districts that we have, is that this was more of a normal priority for them. Mm-hmm because they understood the difference between a state church, which they had all come from more or less, Mm -hmm. which is tax supported versus a situation where you have the support that you have raised up through the proclamation of the gospel. Those are your supporters. So if you talk to more people, that's more support that the church of Jesus Christ has. Um, Yep. And so I, yeah. I think that they understood in a culturally and, and, and people denigrate it and they're like, well, they were just German. Well, Germans aren't magically Lutherans either any more than Americans Correct. are. So <laughs> they put a ton of work in because I think they understood <laughs> in our situation, we we can't assume things. We can't assume it's going to be there. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I love your study on the Apostle Paul um, and the invitation to imitate the Apostle Paul as he imitates imitates Jesus. I mean, yeah. this is a, a wonderful way for us to understand discipleship. And evangelical, the evangelical Christian church, I think, has kind of stolen that and turned it into like this legalistic kind of a thing. We need to look at the Apostle Paul and say, especially under the cross of Jesus Christ and the free gift of faith and the waters of baptism, it wasn't a legalistic thing. It was just like no. the best thing ever was to follow after the way of the way of Jesus. So how do yeah. we speak about discipleship gospelly, Adam? Okay. <laughs> gospelly. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I, I think, I think one, one place you can start that's really kind of literal and simple and then, and then a less simple place. The, the literal simple place is to say, when Jesus says, make disciples of all nations, teaching them all things whatsoever I have commanded you. That's, that's just a reference back to all the stuff that he already taught, which includes not mm-hmm. only things to do in your life, like do not be anxious. It also mm-hmm. includes pondering the fact that the father takes care of the sparrows, right? Mm-hmm. So contained in discipleship is always both the mystery of salvation as well as the way of life that Christ has marked out for us. It's not separable purely into law or purely into gospel. It's both. Mm-hmm. Um, the less simple place, and especially for pastors, is to is to start to read Second Corinthians alongside First Timothy and Titus as past, as a pastoral epistle, and that what Paul is describing, particularly in the first roughly half of that letter, is both his activity, which I think should be inspiring. Like, what are you doing? You know, some guy <laughs> some guy got up and thought a lot about you know cattle futures at the Chicago Board of Trade today. Did you put anything like equivalent energy into heavenly treasures today? You know, like, mm-hmm. okay, there, so there's, there's like your law, right? Paul, why is Paul so energetic? Because he actually thinks it matters. But there's also his description of the mysteries of suffering and endurance and God pushing you to a point where, and this is the back half of the letter, in your weakness, in that in that work, in that suffering, in that preaching, his strength is made perfect. So mm-hmm. that's a that's a mystery that like any way of life that he marks out for us, we enter into 
And yeah, there, there are things to do, but the overwhelming mystery, and I feel this way about being a pastor, like being a father, like being a husband, is that the overwhelming mystery is, is really just gifts. And the amount that I do has, is tiny, minuscule in comparison to the gifts that I experience as I, as I go along those paths. Mm, I love that. When you say gifts, say more about gifts. You're yeah. talking promises. Yeah. I think, sure. I think some of those, some of those gifts are going to be thorns in the flesh that mm. are painful for, you know, he calls it a light momentary affliction. They're painful for a time. They turn out to be immense blessings. And I have experienced that often enough that I actually believe it now, you know, yeah. um, yeah. I, I used to be like, Oh yeah, that sounds good. Thanks. You know, and now, but now I actually believe it. The, the other part of it is that in, in following the way of life that he's marked out, uh, whether you're talking about service to other people or family or whatever you're talking about, um, that what I mostly experience on a day-to-day basis is an overwhelming sense of givenness to my life mm-hmm. rather than my seizing it or striving for it. So the strange thing here is that the more you strive the more you're resting, to be honest with you. And if you're striving in a way that is not restful, then it is not, it's not the striving that the Lord has in mind for you. Um, that he, he gives, he gives rest or he gives to his beloved sleep. And, uh, those kinds of things are what Paul's trying to explain in second Corinthians, which I think notably too is in some ways, this is the most personal letter. And he's writing to a congregation that is kind of ungrateful <laughs> and, and doesn't really understand the things he's trying to talk about. And that's okay too. Like that, that's also part of this life. Right. And, and I, you can say it's a cross, but what, I guess what I'm saying is the crosses all turn out to be blessings too. Yeah. In addition to the things that feel like blessings at that moment. That's hmm. so good. And his, his words, Adam, uh, shaped his written and spoken word, but I mean, largely his, his written word shaped yeah. the culture of the early church yeah. to be a people who rejoiced in suffering. The church was built through the blood of the martyrs, right? And those yeah. who, who gave their life. And, and as you look at our American culture today and um, what we walk through doing, during COVID, I listened mm-hmm. to part of your lecture on the future of the American Christian church. What parts of Paul's story should shape our, our posture toward whatever the future looks like here in the American church. It, for many, it may not look, it may look like a fair amount of suffering for us right. as the people of God. What words of wisdom come from the life of Paul that shape us today? Okay. I mean, I think the absolute most important one, regardless of how you felt about COVID or what you did during COVID, is that the preservation of comfort is not a New Testament goal. That's so for sure. <laughs> whether you are, whether you are seeking comfort because you're seeking to get like the nineties back in a sense of the relationship between church and state, or maybe something even earlier, um, or you're seeking comfort, like you're going to conform to everything that you are told to do by media or a governmental authority, um, full stop. That that's, that's not the idea. The idea is always that Paul think about what Paul asked for. He asks that by any means a door may be opened. Mm. A door may be opened for the gospel. And mm-hmm. whether that comes via my suffering or whether that comes because, no, I have to have in-person church services because Jesus is himself in person, like he's alive, so it's got to be in person or or whatever, whatever the issue is, then 
that's my priority. My priority is not how I feel about it. And I think that a lot of the discussion around COVID was either about um, Romans 13 just means you do whatever they say. And that just seems obvious from Acts 4. It's not true. Like, right. you, you can't do everything they say. Like, sorry, obviously. Yeah. Um, because their power is limited because they're not God. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, um, people are like, I can't believe this is happening. Why can't you believe it's happening? You know, I, <laughs> like, I, what, what did you, like, where did you think this was headed? So, so I think, I think the idea. God's that, wrath is real in this yeah, world. God's, yeah, God's wrath is real. believers and unbelievers, you know. Yeah. And, and our, our nation is full of unbelievers. That's, that's most yep. people in most counties in the United States. And, and based on our, um, lethargy what we were talking mm-hmm. about earlier i guess we're okay with that but but god's not and right. so i think one way to look at what happened during covid and and the way that i that i hope i look at it now um on the back side of it is that it was a great blessing because people began to think they had time to think um they weren't caught up in their busyness but also that the church woke up to the reality that things can just go away because and mm. you guys had stats earlier. I just have the anecdotal thing that I read the Missouri Synod newspaper. Mm-hmm. And it used to be that before COVID, maybe in that issue, there would be a congregation that was closing. And now there's always at least one congregation that's closed that month. Mm. So, you know, it's like, okay, if that doesn't wake us up, then then we don't deserve to be woken up. But it does wake up some of us, I think. Let's hang on the topic of our incarnational encounter with Jesus and yeah. the impersonness. One of the areas of division was over online communion. We never did it. Some congregations that are our size did. And, and you know, I think there's contextual hospitality. All of us were trying to do the best we can in these, in these crazy ties. But I think a point of agreement right now yeah. is people need Christ. People need community. People need the body and blood of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. People need that, that communal, cause that's what a, a communion is. It's our common union, our common confession of, of Jesus is Lord. You know, we need the gathering of the saints. I had a guy right here in my office just yesterday and he's been watching us online. He says for like a year and a half and he's come like, he's come like two times yeah, and, and right. he's like, can a, can a guy, and he's talking about himself. He's this kind of gruff old guy. He's kind of guy uh, be saved, Pastor, if he uh, if he doesn't really go to the church. And I'm like, well, why why do you why do you ask? I mean, yeah, right. Yeah, because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you know he's wanting he's wanting the thief on like yeah yeah he's wanting the thief on the cross answer. So I, we got okay. There's some, but like it's hard to have the body and blood of Jesus by yourself. It's yeah. hard to forgive your own sins. Like you can't you can't do that. Yeah, also, we need Impossible. Right. right. Yeah. Right, it's yeah. also impossible. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So <laughs> yes. there's a lot of people that are still like checking the box online with I us. Know. And I don't, I don't get it, man. It's not the, it's not the best for, for you. So how, how have you spoken? I've okay. also said before I let you kind of go on the COVID rant, yeah. I, I, I've said publicly numerous times and whenever I get the loudest cheers in a sermon and I don't, I'm not hunting for cheers, you know what I'm saying? But <laughs> when I say what happened two years ago yeah. will never happen again in this congregation. Oh, but there's well, this call like we must be together go ahead adam yeah 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 no well and i appreciate that you're talking to your congregation about it because i think acting like many of us didn't do dumb stuff 
is is the least productive thing you could possibly do. Like if you mm-hmm. just obviously if you go one in ten in a season and you're like, yeah, so next year is going to be great. You know, it's like <laughs> I don't think that's true. And it, it, so I think that that some of this has to do with a, a cultural squeamishness about critique. Mm-hmm. of any kind like and discussion and i and i've talked to guys that did online communion i know guys that are still doing online communion and but it's like dude do you actually think like that's are are you like is that actually going to work and it's like they know it's not they know no because here's mm-hmm. here's my proof is that every gen z kid wants to be less online so absolutely like so they've been <laughs> they've been doing online life their whole life yeah. And they're sad and and they come and they do, you know, all the liturgical bells and whistles we're running over here. Let's get real. Because right? yeah, because it's their body, it's in person, there's other people here and you know and it's like look, like Jesus doesn't want to be online with you. Like he wants something mm-hmm. more than that. That's why there is the Lord's Supper because he yep. would be, right? And this is very beautiful. Paul strings together in Romans 10 all these passages about like from the Old Testament about the coming of the word of God. And he says, the word is very near you. Mm. You know, it's not, it's not distant. It's not piped in. It's, it's very near you. Like he's, he's right here. And this is a very beautiful thing that we give to people when we serve them the Lord's supper. So I want that for them. I don't want online for them. Like they could be online with anything anywhere. I think Jesus wants more for people. There's something powerful about the substantial nature of the sacraments. That Very it's a powerful. thing that it's a something that you taste. It's something that you can touch. It's something, yeah. you know, it's not a virtual thing. It's not a theoretical thing. It's a tangible, right. Right. real thing, right? Yeah, totally. When it, we did a drive-by communion <laughs> service <laughs> a few times. <laughs> we, we were only closed for like two and a half months you know and it yeah. was strictly online and then we had space talk it, it feels like just a bad dream even I know it does. Down <laughs> of, of what happened yeah. just such a such a bad dream but we're yeah. yeah we're not gonna we're not gonna do that again and i think what you hinted at was the ability if we see our brother or our sister especially with a relationship of trust over time uh, and this is the power of of i think uh, a circuit a group of pastors in an area who love and care and respect one another to just having a, a brotherly word rather than, you know, tweeting or putting something out online about that church down the road. No, no, no. Just, just go and say, Hey, can we have a conversation? Um, I had, I had a brother pastor do that with me early on. He listened to my, God bless him for listening to one of my first sermons. But <laughs> he listened to one of my, one of my first sermons on, on generosity. And instead of sounding gospely, it sounded a little legalistic And that's an easy thing to do as we're talking about resources. Right. And, yeah, and right. he took me out to, took me out to lunch and had our, and he shaped, he helped shape me. I was discipleship. Right. Yeah. And, and what I know about the traits of pastors right now and in, in some of my research for my doctorate it are many pastors are super agreeable and don't, don't handle conflict very well. They go along <laughs> to get along and, yes. and, yes. and, you know, that, that handling conflict well and managing stress well, these are pretty low scores 
for many pastors. And I think huh. this may yeah. shape some of the some of the divisiveness within our our church body around any. Uh, we could go down all you know. It could be worship. It could be women and you know all these types of things. Yeah. We don't. We're not relating well to one another. Developing deep relationships of trust, and it's kind of cascading uh, for us. I, I know you've heard of rings. I'll let you dig into this, but this like rings of relationship, and hopefully the the inner ring is Christ at the center, and then He's placed me in a family. He's in placed me in a church, a group of about a hundred, and then there's this like wider group of people, and I think this is where our churches and our circuits can kind of work yeah. together. Yeah. Those relationships, sociologists and that kind of middle ring, those relationships are not deep at all. What mm-hmm. used no. to be spending and deepening those relationships is now displaced by time on our phones, etc. And then social on our media. phones, what do we get? We, social media. What we get is this outer ring of activity. What's going on in politics, geopolitical, all of that kind of thing, and we are losing that sense of the village that tethers us together where there are elders, you know, women and men who speak words of wisdom and love and challenge to me and I receive it. I'm, I'm sharpened. I'm, I'm pruned. And then in turn, as I, as I grow up into Christ, I do the same for the next generation. We've kind of lost that today. And I think yeah. it's insidious and it comes out even in the way pastors uh, do not disagree in an agreeable fashion. Anything to say about building that disagreeing, agreeable muscle in the church, Adam? Yeah, I think that, I mean, the hurdle you always face in the LCMS is that it's supposed to be one thing on paper and in practice, it's a different thing. And that's kind of true regardless of what your position on wine, women and song, as it's sometimes called, yeah. you know, <laughs> that's what every call committee wants to talk to you about in an interview and, and blah, blah, blah. It's kind of true regardless is that you feel either, well, I'm supposed to, this is supposed to be fine or this is not supposed to be fine. Or why aren't you doing what I do? Like it's supposed mm-hmm. to be a high trust culture. And it's like, we we just have difficulty admitting that it's at best medium trust and usually it's low trust. And if you know it's low trust, but it could be better, then yeah, you'd be willing to work on something, right? But I think part of the reason that we're not working on it or we don't care or we just want to continue being outraged on the internet is because that building of trust doesn't actually seem like a priority, right? So this is kind of the same thing that we talked about with church planting is that in a way you really have to go a lot more by what people actually do than by what they say. And if it's like, okay, yeah, this guy is like, actually, like he will actually talk to me Mm -hmm. or, or he's getting, you know, he's proclaiming the gospel or, or whatever, then that's something to pay much more attention to. I mean, this is just kind of the litmus test that like a James lays out or a John lays out. Let us not love in word or in talk, but in deed or in truth. And because it's like, look, like get over it. Like the LCMS is not high trust. It's just not, it's too big. Um, we don't know each other. And then even when we do know each other, we often don't trust each other. And that's just the way it is. So we can either work on that. There's camps and yeah, all that obvi- kind of stuff, just right? obviously like why pretend yeah. like there's not, it's fine, right. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and either work on that or don't, but like, don't, don't be angry don't, that right. it doesn't exist. But you're also not doing anything about it. Like, who right. cares? Like, I don't care what happens to the Kansas City Chiefs. I want to stop seeing Taylor Swift on TV. That's my, you know what I mean? <laughs> right. Yeah. But I think a lot of guys are there. Like, they're just like, I'm so sick of seeing Taylor. Well, why are you watching if you don't care? Yeah. You know, like. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it can get, it can get pretty vitriolic. And you, you've done a lot of work 
on the story of the LCMS as one who came from outside of yeah. the LCMS. There's a reason why there's medium to low to low trust, and I yeah. think the wounds of Seminex are still very very real in our in our past story. I love the way you talk about history in one of your presentations that we should have a remarkable amount of humility as we tell it's not a black and white story per se. And there's, you know, there's, there's villains everywhere and there's probably everybody has a little bit of darkness kind of in them in that story. So we should come at it with a lot of humility. You know, I hear a lot of people talk about Seminex and, and it's almost like a curse word, right? And, and on both, on both sides of whatever it is, they just blame everything on, on Seminex rather than just working on 2023 and what is, what is right now. So as you look at that story, what is, some of the the wounds that are still in your perspective uh very very raw in the lcms okay um i from lcms people talking about it the thing that i i mean i mean lifers and and especially people who were there the thing that i hear most often is how painful it was and so yeah. the existence of low trust in the lcms isn't solely traceable to seminex but something you'll notice if you look at the history that, that generally has not been written about because too many people are still alive, basically, but that played out in the 70s, 80s, 90s, is that the people who were united on the doctrine of scripture that obviously were still here after the walkout didn't agree on a lot of other things, theologically mm-hmm. and practically, um, especially practically. And that was never really handled because Seminex was was in a certain sense, simply an administrative problem that Mm -hmm. our issue on the doctrine of scripture was handled vis-a-vis the faculty, mostly of St. Louis seminary. Although there was, there was something, there was sort of an exodus when Robert Preuss took over the other seminary, um, somewhat similar. And I'm sorry, Jack, um, before Mm -hmm. that. Okay. So I'm getting my Preusses mixed up here. Um, it happens sometimes. (laughs) Um, and so, so those, those, those were administrative problems and they were handled administratively. That's fine. But that didn't provide a way to figure out, okay, it's the 70s. Um, here comes the church growth movement. Um, what are we going to do about that? Well, we didn't really talk about that. We just kind of did a variety of things, right? Um, so that's where the capacity to build trust or to maintain trust which depended both on how much guys from the system that existed, especially running through St. Louis before the walkout, um, they had they had been playing basketball together since seventh grade. So that that just creates a totally different atmosphere. And that's gone. Right. That's just gone. And, and I can't see it coming back. But in addition to that, the capacity to solve problems um, other than administratively, which in the LCMS is gonna is gonna have something to do with politics and election cycles and fundraising, and does not create more trust. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. I mean, you right. can you can if if you're like, okay, I need to take care of business. I need to get my guy into this position. You can do that. Right. You can win, but you can't. You can't necessarily, you can't necessarily win, win the brother. Win winsomely, right? <laughs> yeah, you 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 can win. You can't necessarily win the brother, and and you right. might not be trying. Let's let's be honest. Right. Okay. Um, so there's that. The other, the other thing, and this is kind of more my observation than something that I hear, is that we had a lot of other issues going on in and around the time of Seminex. And because we don't necessarily have a way of solving problems co- collectively, those are not things that we solved. So I brought up church growth, but I mean, just you, you could think about something that I've tried to maintain is that we basically kept the same preaching method 
we had learned before Seminax, which is just goal malady means classically, but it's like you do law for however long in a sermon, then you do gospel. That's every sermon. Mm-hmm. So as far as discipleship goes, that's really all your people know mm-hmm. is that there is sin and that Jesus is the savior from sin. All other Bible topics don't really make it into the sermon, except usually to make people feel bad. Mm. So you're not going to talk about giving unless you unless you make it sound like they don't give enough, but Jesus came to save them from giving enough or something, right? Mm-hmm. And so that very flattened out preaching method that that was taught by a guy that that left during the walkout, Richard Kemmerer, that didn't go away with Seminex. So in the, mm-hmm. so my issue with with that as like the high point of something is that it didn't really handle a lot of other things that in the years after Seminex, as America becomes increasingly secular, our people need more instruction, more training, more help, better sermons. And there were things that we were doing before Seminex that we just basically kept doing in a very practical sense. And I think preaching is is the primary example of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is, <laughs> there's so much more that can be said, um, but I'm going to, we're coming down the home stretch here, yeah. Adam. Yeah. We, we love, we love the Lutheran church, Missouri Synod. We love because it's a confessing conservative church body, biblical, like focus on Jesus as a center point of all of human history. And, um, I, and at the same time, the ULC is an organization that's running some experiments, um, especially uh, along the topic of formation. We were talking about that just briefly before we we got on yeah. here. And um, I think we're basically running what you termed uh, a Gamaliel test, uh, a, a Gamaliel <laughs> yeah. test. Yeah. Uh, talk right. a little bit about a, a, a Gamaliel test. Yeah. So the Gamaliel test is, is just really, you know, it's like, well, um, if it's not of God, then it's going to fail. <laughs> and if it's of God, <laughs> then you can't stop it. Okay. And, and so that's kind of a simple, kind of a simple test. Gamaliel lays out because Gamaliel is one of your more open-minded Sanhedrin kinds of guys. Um, and I, I think, I think that that's something, and I, I know you're talking to, you know, whatever, like you're, you're taking it straight to the top. So I'm not going to get in the way of that conversation, but I think that this is, this is an instance where it's like, um, I was a catcher in baseball and the primary reality of being a catcher is that you always know better than the guy that you're working with, right? And so you call the pitch and then he either he either follows your wise advice or he ignores it or whatever. And you have different pitchers. Um, they're all on your team. Mm-hmm. And uh, you just have to handle it that way. So I think that this is part of a thing. You know, it's like, if you're in a low trust environment, like obviously you guys are going to get a ton of flack. I'm glad that you're also getting some productive discussion because it's a situation where I think that we need to start looking at the way that the church carries out its mission, whether you're talking about training pastors or you're talking about planning churches or you're talking about keeping churches running, whatever you're talking about, um, where we start looking at it as a matter of wisdom in which we need advice and we need counsel. And sometimes we try something like we leave John Mark behind and, and, and maybe Paul thought that was a really good idea. Um, what God used that to do was to get the gospel preached in two places at once. If you take a look at what actually happens there in Acts. So there, there's always a, there's always a reality going on in church life where 
things are happening through us, but our grasp of them, I think, is pretty, pretty low. And that's what I like about the Gamaliel test is that it leaves all the room that it should actually be there for God to use things or not to use them and for us to be to have a humility about what we're looking at that's that's happening around us. Hmm. Yeah, I'm praying. I'm praying that uh, those I'm praying for just best construction on everything in these days that we we challenge one another with love and care that we actually use first article realities like data to take a look at the trajectory of our churches and and then that we would work toward revitalization of those that are, that exist who are in need of that reboot. Uh, we really believe that we should be looking in these in these respective contexts in these congregations for a lot of the lay laymen who could be trained up to be the the distributor of word and sacrament in time and deep theology is very very important the the model that we're working through right now um is definitely not loose as it relates to the lutheran confessions it's very very strict uh and it's a lot of fun it's a lot Mm -hmm. of fun and we're working with a partner let me let me just say this for those of you who have hung on with us uh, now, there's there's some traction uh, with the Luther House of Study and connected to the ULC. Um, we are not, uh, as a Lutheran Church Missouri Synod organization and congregation, condoning women's ordination, even though some of the students that go through the Luther House of Study are women in the LCMC. Um, we're just looking at this training model. The, the Lutheran confessional teaching, the Reformation teaching is really, really wonderful wonderful. And at the same time, as I have said uh, on this mic, gosh, dozens and dozens of times, we're waiting for uh, the theologians, the brain trust, if you will, of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod to, to come to the table and, and help us because this bivocational, co-vocational training could have a, a huge, huge impact benefiting many of our smaller congregations in the LCMS. And a radical Luther House impact, is just I the, would say. Yeah, Luther yeah. House is just uh, wonderful partners and uh, the only people who are actually at the table with us right now. So we want to put the LCMS stamp on that curriculum map. And so, uh, Dr. Adam Kuntz, if you want to hear more, specifically about it we could set up a call uh, for you to even even partner with us i'd love I'd, no i mean that in all sincerity yeah. i'd love for our students to be students to be blessed by you especially as one who's been in institutions and just really wants to see the local church boom in the definitely post-christian context in which you find yourself at there there in denver so i'm praying for you brother thank you for yeah, your generosity you. of time yeah and uh, for pleasure. your wisdom yeah, for your wisdom, uh, for your deep insights into the life and leadership of the Apostle Paul. Love that today. Uh, where can people connect with you? I, I got your your podcast here, right? The Brief History of Power with Jonathan yeah. Fisk and, yeah. and Adam Kuntz. Uh, check that out for sure. How else can people keep up with you, Adam? Yeah, um, I have coming out um, by by request um, a, a Bible commentary from Ad Crutchum called the Family Bible Commentary. Um, nice. first volume of that is coming out gospels and acts and it's, it's meant I'm, it's not so long that I'm like in the way of reading the Bible. Um, it, it actually mm-hmm. says in the introduction, <laughs> if you're reading this more than the Bible, please stop. Um, yep. cool. please throw this book away. Um, but that, <laughs> that you can order that from Ed Crutchum. Um, that's, so that's coming out. Um, that'll be, should reach you, uh, before Christmas, as far as I understand. Awesome. And, if they want to just say, hey, you know, I, I hate what you said or I love what you said or whatever they want to say, just shoot me an email. Um, that's fine. Uh, Rev Kuntz, R-E-V-K-O-O-N-T-Z at gmail.com. 
Excellent. Excellent. Uh, this is lead time. Sharing is caring. Like, subscribe, comment wherever you take this in. We promise to have, uh, we pray, Jesus-centered, hope-centered, joy-filled conversations uh, in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, because we really believe that, man, a confessing church body like ours, if we can get out of our way, if we can uh, confess sin consistently, give absolution, and then unite in our various contexts to go on mission, uh, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod is what the world needs, because Jesus is what the world needs, and he's the one that we bring. He's the one that we highlight and center. So this is a good day. Go and make it a great day by the power of word. And Spirit will be back next week with Lead Time. Thanks so much, Adam. Thanks, Jack. God bless. Thank you. You've been listening to Lead Time, a podcast of the Unite Leadership Collective. The ULC's mission is to collaborate with the local church to discover, develop, and deploy leaders through biblical Lutheran doctrine and innovative methods. To partner with us in this gospel message, subscribe to our channel, then go to theuniteleadership.org to create your free login for exclusive material and resources, and then to explore ways in which you can sponsor an episode. Thanks for listening. The Unite Leadership Collective is excited to announce the launch of our new online learning platform. Whether you're considering entering into ministry or already leading, we have the resources that you need to become an empowered leader in your ministry. Our learning platform will release new courses every quarter with our first available course, Becoming an Engaged Leader, available now. But by joining our monthly membership, you'll unlock unlimited access to all of our courses and gain entry into our exclusive coaching community space where ministry leaders can connect with each other. This community also grants you access to bi-weekly coaching calls led by the ULC team, private Zoom calls, and additional team discounts. To celebrate the launch, we're offering introductory rates for all of our courses and the monthly subscription plan. Just enroll prior to January 1st using the code 75ULC2023 to get 75% off at checkout. Visit theuniteleadership.org to learn more about our online learning platform and start your journey to lead effectively in any church settings today.